The title of this morning's message is Anyone, Anytime, Anywhere. We've been studying Jonah for the last several weeks, and we have seen that he was a man who ran from God, and as he ran from God, we discovered that he was also a man that God was giving pursuit to. God was chasing him. God was running after him. In our first study, when we tackled this little book, we saw reasons why we run and what running looks like. As we continued and we saw Jonah running from God, we saw what God is prepared to do in the fierceness of his love to send in Jonah's life a great storm, in your life and mine, circumstances that are designed to capture us and to bring us to himself. In our third study, we listened to Jonah as he sat in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea, and from him we learned the changes that you and I need to make when we stop running from God. And then in our last study, we see Jonah back on land, back on course, and we saw in that a life that's worth living and how you and I can find this life that God made us for. I want, I want now to call your attention to chapter 3, verse 3, and we're going to start where we stopped last time. Verse 3, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. This is a complete and a total absolute fast. We've been studying that on Thursday mornings, us men, and, and this is a rare kind of fast, but nothing to eat, nothing to drink, not for man, not for a beast. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. This is truly an amazing event. An entire city of people who did not have God on their mind, not thinking about him, not conscious of him at all. And the entire city turns to God. It's happened in church history where there have been great movements of God, people turning to him in great numbers. It's happened in North America. It's happened at times in places even in Arkansas. But it's always amazing when it happens. And what I want you to see is that when it happens, it happens one person at a time, and it involves a complete 
transformation of an individual life. The person is changed. And in this passage, I see at least five keys to individual change. If you want to change, or if you've been struggling with change, you've been trying and it's not been working, what are the factors, what are the keys involved in what happens when God changes you? What is God's part? What is he doing? Well, here's the first key, how God changes a life. The first key is mercy. I could have said compassion. I could have said love. In Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. And then the opening verses of chapter 3. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh. And this is where it all begins. God knows Nineveh before Nineveh knows God. God cares about Nineveh before Nineveh cares about God. And this pattern is repeated in the New Testament. In a verse as familiar as John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Before God ever sent Jesus to die for you and me, what was already on his heart? What was already there? Love. Love. And before God changes you, he already loves you, just as you are. He's not going to leave you as you are, but just as you are, he already loves you. And you might think, well, I've tried to change, Pastor, but I always get it wrong. I always mess up. I've tried and tried, and it's gone on too long, and I've gone too far. There's no hope for me. I want you to hear something. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. And your translation may say something slightly different, but let me give you the gist of what the prophet is saying here. He says, through the Lord's mercies, And it's a word for love or compassion. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. So if it wasn't for the Lord's mercies, I would be consumed. I believe deep inside you and me, we know that when we have run from God, that we deserve some kind of judgment or punishment for that, why aren't we consumed? Why are there whole nations or groups of people on the planet whose stated purpose is to kill other people? Why does God allow them to exist? Why do they go on? So as you struggle with your individual question, you know, is it too late for me? Why why, I, I don't think it's possible. I don't think there's any hope for me. And you come to a passage like this, and we realize that the only reason any of, any of us are breathing today is because of the mercies of God. And, and, and that's the only reason why we're not finished off. He goes on and says, because his compassions fail not. I'm not finished off because his mercy is never finished off. It's never exhausted. It never runs out. 
There's no bottom. There's no limit. God loves you, period. God has mercy for you, period. And the whole reason that you can hope to change, the only reason you can hope to be a different kind of man or a different kind of woman is because God has set his love on you. The verse goes on and says, they are new, his mercies, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What does that mean? It means that the limitless, infinite, eternal mercy of God that is given to you today, he reloads it tomorrow morning. Brand new. You had unlimited, limitless, uh, eternal, unstoppable mercy yesterday, and God reloads it this morning. And so we're not talking about what you have done. We're not talking about your potential or your ability to do something or your ability to accomplish something before you ever lift a finger, before you ever make an effort. God has given you mercy, and he loves you. I was talking to someone recently, and... um, And at first, they were resistant to the truth, to the message of God, to the gospel. But it was really remarkable to see what happened when this person understood that God loved them. Because they thought there was no hope for them. They thought that they had so messed up that they were so entangled in their failure that there was no recovery, no putting it right, no putting it back together, that they were so far deep in that dark hole that God couldn't do anything for them. I just want you to know this morning that if that's where you are and that's what you feel, I want you to to understand this, that the change that needs to happen in your life doesn't start with you. It's already begun. It's begun in the heart of God who loves you and has mercy on you. That's why God was sending Jonah to Nineveh (laughs) before Nineveh even knew what was coming. God had sent someone to them. So the change that occurs in your life starts with mercy. And, uh, but there's a second key, a second key that needs to take place for your life to change, and it's this word mission, the word mission. Look again at verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So what he was doing was exactly what God had told him to do, so he was on this mission. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. Now, in reading commentators who tackle this particular verse, there's a lot of discussion, debate, and argument about the size of the city. Uh, Some people say, well, the ancient walls were eight miles in circumference. Uh, For something to be like this, it would probably had to be 60 miles in circumference. And they argue, was it the city proper, or was it the the territory that Nineveh governed? Was it a city-state? Was it all these different things. And then I've even talked about earlier in messages about the walls and these incredible walls that encircled Nineveh, which is not far from modern-day Mosul in northern Iraq. And, um, and so we talk about, and the 
scholars would talk about the size of the city. Here's what I think is missing in that discussion. When he talks about the size of the city, he's not talking about geography. He's not talking about real estate. He's talking about the numbers of people in that city. He's talking about them, and he's sending Jonah to deal with people, not geography, not real estate. It's not about taking Arkansas for Christ. It's about Arkansans. It's about the people who live in Arkansas. And so it was never about the city of Nineveh, per se, as it was about Ninevites and all the thousands and thousands of people that are there. So what is the mission of God? The mission of God sending this man into this great population of people. 1 Peter 3.18 captures it for us. This is the mission of God. For For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Now, before we look at the mission real closely, I want you to see what happens here. Christ suffered once for sins. Um, I don't want to get into the, uh, the message yet, but I want you to understand that no one else could do that. No one else could do that. No one else could take your place and take the punishment that your sins deserved. Only Jesus Christ could do that. And no amount of good works on your part or mine can erase the fact that I have done things that are wrong, more things than I'm even conscious of that have offended God. I've broken more laws. I have done more damage to the heart of God. I have offended him more than I'm ever going to probably be conscious of. And only one person could deal with that, and that was Jesus Christ. And it said he died once for sins. The just for the unjust. And so who are the unjust? Well, that's us. Who are the unjust? Well, that's all the Ninevites. But here's what I want you to see. Was that the mission of God? Was that the the goal? Was that the objective? Look at the rest of the verse. Why did he do it? That he might bring us to God. That's the mission. That's what he was sending Jonah to do, was to bring these people to himself. That's why he sent Jesus. Yes, he died on the cross. Yes, he died for our sins. Why? That he might bring us to God to bring you to God, to bring your child to God, to bring your family to God, to bring your neighbor to God. That's the mission of God. And if anybody's life is ever going to change, it's because God has mercy and God is on a mission to bring them to himself. That's the second key of change in your life. You haven't done anything yet, have you? It begins with God's mercy. He has this mission. There's a third key, messengers. Messengers are necessary for your life to change. Listen again now, verse 4. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out. You know, he had just told us that Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three-day journey in extent. And, and, and then he enters the city, and as he's going on the first day, it's three days to get through this deal, but he's in the first day, and he starts crying out. But here's, here's what I believe is going on in Jonah's mind. This is an absolutely impossible task. You look at the size, you look at the population, you look at the fact that this is the Assyrian capital, that's not just the thousands of people in the city, but thousands upon thousands of people that the city influences. They are... They are great in their their culture. 
It, there's, uh, there's all kinds of things that would impress you and me. It'd be like you and me by ourselves walking into Los Angeles with this assignment, this mission from God to bring Los Angeles to God. And so everything about this appears to be impossible. And, and not only are these people uh, great in size and culture and it's a capital and all these different things, but they're pretty bad folk. These are not nice sinners. These are rotten sinners. These are, these are really bad people. And uh, Nahum would, would talk about the, uh, the descendants of these people 150 later, years later in his, his book, his prophecy that he wrote. And the later generations didn't turn to God. But this generation did. But, but what were they guilty of at the time? Well, he talks about um, uh, their cruelty, Nahum does. And there was cruelty in war. And uh, their artwork that you can go find to this day shows that they were depicting mutilation, cutting off hands and feet and heads and impaling people and skinning them alive. If you were a king, that was what you did. And these people were known for their violence. In chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Let everyone turn from, this is the king saying, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. So it's not just going into a, a giant city of a Memphis or a New York or a Los Angeles or, or a Little Rock or something like that, but you're going to a place where they are crazy mean. You're walking into Mosul. You're walking into Raqqa, these places where ISIS lives. You're walking into a place where just the name of Christian, of a Nazarene, would result in your death. And so I believe what was going through his mind was that this is absolutely crazy. This is impossible. I'm just one person. No one's going to listen to me. No one's going to listen to what I have to say. All the noise, the buses that are running, the, the media that's going, people preoccupied with their work, preoccupied with their individual objectives and missions in life, people busy doing things, focused on other things, not thinking about God. No one's going to listen to me. There's nothing that I can do. But you'd be wrong. You'd be wrong. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, there's one thing that you can do. This is an elaboration of Jonah's mission given to you and me by the Lord Jesus. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Let me read that again. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, this is not a call to do the impossible. It's really not. It's an awesome assignment. It certainly does involve every person on the planet, but it's not impossible. Because if you go and look exactly at what he's telling you and me to do, he says to go and to preach, and then depending on what your translation says, it says to all creation, and the Greek word for all can also mean every. And that's why some will say to all creation or others to every creature. And here's the deal. I, I am called to only do a couple of things. You are called to only do a couple of things here. We're called to go. Can you go? Can you go? Can you mix it up with other people who don't know God? Can you do that? The answer is 
The answer is, you're right, 100% so far. And, and you can do that. And then he says, go. And then he says, and preach. Now, obviously, the preaching he's talking about is not like this kind of preaching. How many of y'all want to do that? I'll step aside. It's not this kind of preaching where you come into a very safe place and you have a couple hundred people or however many people listening to you. It's not that kind of preaching. It's a, it's a preaching in terms of announcing or, or giving something to somebody else in terms of a message. And so you do that all the time. I mean, how many, how many of you Razorback fans are carrying a message today? You know, you have a message. You do. And, and we don't think in terms of, I am preaching the gospel of the Razorback today. We don't think in those terms, but we are. We're delivering something, a message that we carry. And so what's he saying? He's saying you can go. He says, and you can preach. You can take a message and you can deliver it to people. And how do you do it? One at a time. If you're going to do it to all people, you have to do it to every person. And the only way you can do it with every person is how? One at a time. One at a time. One at a time. The logic of this, according to the Apostle Paul, is really simple. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, he says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher, without somebody going and telling them? And so if you're a Christian today, uh, you are part of changing somebody's life because you are a messenger. Now, you don't have to be perfect to be that messenger. He doesn't talk about that. He just says, go and preach, be a messenger to every person. What does that mean practically for Wind Baptist Church? It means that right now, as you and I sit here, there are 6,000 people in Wynn at least sitting at home. And our assignment is to go and preach a message, deliver a message to every man every woman, every boy, and every girl in Wynn, Arkansas. And if we don't own responsibility for that, who will? And if you're here this morning and you're thinking, how's my life going to change? How does my life change? Well, I want you to know that God has put people in your life to help you. That God sends messengers to people. That God has put a man in your life. He's put a woman in your life. He's put a friend. He's put a family member. He's put somebody in your life that knows Christ. Somebody at work. Somebody at school. And you're saying, how can my life change? And God sends a messenger. And I'm not talking about the, uh, the hypocritical Christian. I'm not talking about someone who doesn't maybe not even know God themselves and they attend church, but they're just as lost and disoriented as you are when it comes to living life. I'm not talking about that person being a messenger. I'm talking about someone who knows God. God has put people around you who know him, and they are your messengers. You say, well, I don't know anybody around me who's a real Christian. Ask God then to send one into your life. But one of the ways that he changes you is he sends messengers, people in your life. Here's my question to you. Are you listening? These people who know Jesus around you, they are your messengers today. I am your messenger. 
There are Bible study groups where you can go study the Bible. They are messengers to you. Are you listening? Are you serious about knowing God? Are you serious about your life changing? We are here, sent by God to be messengers. That's all Jonah had to do was go in that city and deliver a message, which brings me to the fourth key. Key number four is message. God changes you with a message. In verse 2, we read it a couple weeks ago, Jonah was told by God to speak a message to Nineveh. And you'll remember that what we saw was that God said, I'm going to give it to you. He wasn't giving it to him yet. He said that when you go to Nineveh, I've got a message for you. I'll tell you the message when you get there. Now, what's significant about that is that Jonah was not free to tell people what he wanted to say. He was not free to tell people what they wanted to hear. He could only tell them what God had told him to say. I think that's where you and I sometimes get in trouble in trying to talk to people about God. Is we think, well, I'm looking at them. What they need to do is they need to stop drinking. What they need to do is they need to stop going to all these parties or they need to stop voting for Democrats or whatever it is that we think is important. And so we, we go with our own word and our own message. So if you're not for gun control, you can't know God. If you are for gun control, you can't know God. I mean, whatever it is. And we rant on Social media, and we talk about all these other messages, and yet God has a message that can change a human life. And he says, I want you to take that message, and I want you to broadcast it to people. So he could not say what he wanted to say. and He couldn't say what people wanted to hear him say. You know, some churches are doing that. They're telling people, you can live any way you want to, and you can be in a good relationship with God. It doesn't matter that you live in a way that the Bible says is absolutely self-destructive and offensive to a holy God who made you to live a certain way. And these churches, they just tell people what they want to hear. And so we're not talking about that either, but we have this message. What was that message? This is really interesting. Look at verse 4. Then he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Wow. That didn't take long. I hate to say it, but that that was a lot shorter than most of my messages. No one amen. Thank you very much. God bless you. Immediately three truths presented themselves to the minds of the people that heard Jonah. Certainty. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. There was a certainty there. My life is about to end. You know, we begin to think about things very differently when we begin to think about what's beyond this life. And he was announcing with certainty that your life is about to end. You are mortal. You're not going to live forever. There's something beyond and you need to be aware of this And so there was a certainty there. It really jolted them. There was an accountability to what he was saying. Uh, Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Why is it going to be overthrown? Because uh, my life 
has been wrong. That the reason this is coming on Nineveh is because my life, it's my fault. Something I have done, something I have not done, something that in my life is sin that is it is causing this. It is creating this circumstance, this situation. It's not God's fault. It's my fault. There's this note of accountability in that message. There's also a note of mercy. We've talked about mercy. But God is telling me ahead of time. Why? You see, the king kind of understood that if you read through the text. God gives us this warning. God lets us know that there's a heaven and there's a hell. God lets us know that there's a Christ who died on the cross for our sins. Why? Because in every warning from God, there's a mercy built in. There's a mercy that there's a different future available to you. There's a different way to live. There's hope for you. It is not over yet. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. God was even yielding or giving mercy to them in this message. The message was tough. But because it came from God, it possessed a transformational power. And God used it in their lives. This is very much what happens when the gospel comes into an individual's life and they receive it. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is the power of God? The message of the cross. Now, when we talk about the message of the cross, what are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus Christ dying in the place of sinners, dying in your place and and in my place. And so there is that note of accountability there that my sin has caused this. This is part of the message of the cross. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, and, and there's a note of certainty there. It's something that's happening right now. If I don't know Christ, I am perishing. My destiny is not heaven. My destiny is not to be with God. And my life is decaying. And the death and the decay that fills my life is a direct result of my sin. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. They just blow it off. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Saved, there's the mercy of God. There's this message of of the cross, it confronts me. It tells me what's wrong with me. It tells me the truth about me, but it also tells me that I can be saved from my sin. I can be saved from myself. And he delivers me not only from the penalty of sin and its punishment, but from the very power of sin. He delivers me from the very sins themselves and changes me from the things that I do. You'd have to be blind not to be aware of what happened in Paris Friday night, and um, I I wonder what went through your mind when you thought about or saw those images of what happened in Paris. You know, people without God uh, who don't know, know him, and a lot of people who do know him, part of their reaction is to say, bomb them back to the Stone Age, you know? Uh... They killed us. Let's kill them. Let's uh, destroy them, that sort of thing. And, and I'm not entering into a debate of whether or not we should defend ourselves. I think you've heard me talk about that before. It's a role of good government to protect its citizens, so I think that we, we certainly do that. But what if? What if you had in your possession a pill, a cure 
for terrorism. And all they had to do was take one of these pills that you had. They wouldn't be a terrorist anymore. They'd be like a kitten. And they would be sweet. And they wouldn't want to cut your head off. They would want to hug your neck. What if you had with you a pill that you could give to the most angry and meanest man that you know, and he would no longer be angry? What if you had a pill that you could give to somebody who violated their marriage vows or who was adulterous or who was a liar or who was a cheat or, or who went around and, and hurt people with their words? What if you had a pill that you could give them and, and they would change? That is the message of the cross. If I can get the message of the cross in front of someone, they may reject it, sure. But what if they receive it? What if they receive it? Everything changes. Do you know that more Muslims are coming to Christ over the last 10 years? There are more movements to God among Muslims over the last decade than there has been in the entire history of the Christian church. Do you know that's happening right now? Do you know that some of the places where persecution is the worst is where Christianity is growing the fastest? Do you know that there's nearly a million evangelical, Bible-believing Christians in Iran? Do you know that God is at work changing lives? Do you know that there are people in Mosul where ISIS has ruled uh, who have been faithful Muslims their entire life, and they are seeing the end result of what it means to live under the Quran, and they are, they are saying, if that's what it means to be Muslim, I don't want it. I'm going to be an atheist. Do you know what happens when someone like that hears the message of the cross and really understands the message of the cross? You carry that message if you know Christ. You carry that message. You have the power of God in you that can change anyone, anytime, anywhere. It's a message. It's not you. It's just that message. 1978, I heard the message of the cross. It changed me. Did it change you? Can you point to a time, to a place where I heard the message of the cross? Not because everybody was going down and joining the church. Not because you wanted to be baptized. But because you heard that Jesus died for your sins. And you gave him your life. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus Christ? Does he live in you? Key number five, if a life is going to change. There's mercy. It starts with the mercy of God. There's the mission of God to bring you to himself. He has messengers. And there are messengers all over this room. There's a message. And it's a powerful message. It's the power of God to those of us who are being saved. But then there's a miracle. There's a miracle. Look at verse 5. He delivers this message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Here's the most amazing sentence that comes next. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Not Jonah. But this message. They believed God. One of the great revivals of the Old Testament 
happening right here at this moment. They proclaimed a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Didn't matter who they were. Great, powerful, smart, not so smart, not so powerful. Didn't matter. They were all brought to the same place. They were all repentant. They were all turning from their sin. And they were turning to God. And then it says this. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh. What came to Nineveh? The king of Nineveh. Did Jonah go to the king of Nineveh? No. What came to him? The word. The message. Just the message. And he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Is one man carrying one message enough? Can I argue and say in a really strong way that even with this message and even though this guy was obedient that a miracle took place? That there was the power of God in Nineveh that day? That it was a work of God? That an ordinary guy who really didn't want to be there could take a message and say it out loud and people's lives would change. That's very important because when someone comes to God, when someone puts their trust in Jesus Christ, the change that comes is, is a work of God. It's a miracle. When, when someone is saved, it's a miracle. It's not just somebody making a decision. It is God coming to indwell a human heart and provides for that individual the capacity, the power to know God and to live a life that pleases God. It's miraculous. See, a lot of us can go, and we can read a self-help book or go talk to somebody, and we can maybe modify our behavior. We can do behavior modification. But you can change your behavior, but never change or touch your heart. And it's your heart that's got to change, ultimately, if your behavior is really going to change. It's got to be a change of heart. And so any change that doesn't affect the heart is superficial. Let me go further. If it's not a supernatural transformation, it's superficial. It's not real. And so there's a miracle that takes place here. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, the Bible says, But as many as received him or welcomed him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. Now notice the word received and believed. Those are, those are synonyms. They're the same thing. What does it mean to welcome him or receive him? It means to trust him. If I don't trust him, I'm not welcoming him, am I? If I, don't, if I don't trust him, put the weight of my life into his hands and trust with him my entire life, my directional control of my life, let him call the shots, let him make the decisions, how can it be said that I trust him until I give him control of my life? And so it says, as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. There's the miracle to those who believe in his name. Now, how did this miracle occur? Who were born, not of blood, not physical birth, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, it's not just my decision, but of God, born of God. Have you been born of God? You cannot change until you have been born again. That begins when you and I welcome, receive him into our life, and we put our trust in Jesus. And it's not just believing him to forgive me for my sins. It is entrusting my entire life to him to deliver me from the power of sin completely, both in this life and the age to come.
completely trusting him. Here's the bottom line. He will change you if you will turn over your life to his control. He will change you if you will turn over your life to his control. He can't change a person who's running from him. He can stop them. They can receive the word and change. But, but if you're running, if you're resisting, if you're not listening, if there's no real marked change in your life, you can go back to when you said you were saved, but you look over the course of your life, have you changed? Are you a different person? Do you recognize the activity of God in your life? Does he speak to you through his word? Do you get convicted? Do you change? Do you grow step by step by step? You come to places where God speaks to you and says, I don't want you to do that anymore, Don. Here's how I want you to live. And do you make those adjustments when he speaks to your heart? Is your life governed by his direction? Are you doing what you're doing out of a sense of God's call on your life? That God has called me to do this. God has called me to be these things. Or are you just doing it because that's what dad did and that's what grandpa did and that's what everybody else I know does? Are you called? All of this is part of the incredible change that God works in a human heart when we put our trust in him. This morning, in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And this is our way and our tradition and in this church, this is our way of responding to God. And you may have a need to pray with someone or talk to someone about what God is saying to you. Maybe you just need some help clarifying. Maybe you just need someone to, to just pray with you. And you, you. There'll be pastors standing here at the front. I'll be at the front. You can just come and take our hand and just say, hey, pastor, I need you to pray for me. God is speaking to me. I'm trying to sort it out or, or whatever that need is. Maybe you don't want to talk to anybody but you feel need to do something. And so I always encourage people to out of the balcony or down here, just come down to the front, kneel at the front. There's something about that physical movement of doing something, reacting, where we come and we say, God, I heard what you said to me, and I am, I am going to say yes to you. I'm going to yield to you. This process of change is why he saved you. He didn't save you to come and be a member of a church and sit in a pew for the rest of your life. He called you so that he can transform you. The Bible says ultimately he wants to conform you to the likeness of his son. How's it going? How's that going? Is it happening? Can you worship him today? That'd be another way to respond. Can you worship him today and say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me this message Thank you for that man or woman or boy, girl, you brought to my mind while that guy was preaching. Thank you for bringing that person to my mind. And God, I pray that you'll use me to share the message with them that can change your life. Maybe that's where you need to respond. I don't know how the Holy Spirit is at work, but I know he's at work. Would you pray with me? Our Father. Lord, we just stand in awe of the incredible power that you have to change an entire city a wicked, evil people and bring them to yourself through the preaching of one man. We marvel at that. 
But Father, we also marvel. There are many of us here today that marvel that you took us when we didn't know you, but you knew us. We didn't care about you, but you cared about us. And you sent messengers to us, and we heard about the good news of Jesus. We heard about the message of the cross. You changed us. You changed me. Father, for the the one that's hearing this, and they know that this is you speaking to them, I pray that you would strengthen their heart, their courage, to come in, in a wide open, unashamed way, surrender everything to you and put their trust in you. Father, whether a person needs to come and pray or talk to one of us or just worship you there where they are, we give you these moments and we ask you to be Lord over this response time. We ask it in Jesus' name.